Good morning, listeners. I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to welcome you back to another week of this radio program. Thank you for joining us the last few weeks. We would love for you to get to know us a little bit better at College Hills, and if you're interested in our congregation, while we are not meeting on a regular weekly basis because of this unique season of the quarantine, we would love for you to go ahead and check us out at collegehills.org to get to know us a little bit better. And as soon as we are back gathering together, we would love to have you come and visit with us. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at different accounts of the resurrection in each of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each give very different accounts of those resurrected moments in Jesus' life. They give different stories, they give different details, and they give different emphases to what actually happened at the resurrection. And that difference in detail is something for us to pay attention to because it's in those differences that we can often discover new insights and new layers of meaning in what the resurrection means for our lives. Easter Sunday was two weeks ago, and we often think of Easter Sunday as a particular day on the calendar. But for many Christians around the world, they talk more about an Easter season than the day of Easter. And so I wanted us to spend a few different weeks during Easter season to think about the resurrection from a few different angles. And so two weeks ago, we looked at the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we looked at the Gospel of John. And today, I want us to look at Matthew's account in Matthew 28 of what he tells us about the resurrection and the difference that makes for our lives. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 20. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been risen, he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. 
While they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, You must say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story is still told among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this new day and for this new week. And thank you for the resurrection of Jesus that changes how we view the world and changes how we live our lives. And I pray as we spend time in Matthew's account of the resurrection this morning that you would Give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and be changed and transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Over the last several weeks, there has been a phrase that I have heard a lot of in this time of quarantine. And while this may not be the exact quote, it goes a little something like this. We are finding ourselves in a season that we have never experienced before. We are experiencing something new that we have never experienced before. Nothing will be the same after this event. Maybe you too have heard one of these expressions or something like this expression that implies that we are in this strange time of transition. We are in this strange time of living our life one way, but we're all anticipating what some have called the quote-unquote new normal, that when we get back to normal, it won't quite be what it used to be. And so for a lot of us, we have been talking about or been hearing about people talking about this current season that we're in, this time of quarantine, this time of social distancing, as this unique transition, this transition that we're not quite sure how long it's going to last, but we know that we're headed somewhere new. And when you're in a transition like we have all experienced over the last several weeks, then you know that transitions stir a lot of emotions. Because transitions mean change. Transitions mean that things are not going to be the same and we are not going to be the same. Transitions imply that we are leaving some things behind and we're going to be embracing some new things, even though we don't quite know what those new things might be. 
Transitions can be difficult, as many of us are learning. And because of that reality of transition that we find ourselves in, that's the reason why I wanted us to look at Matthew's account of the resurrection. Because Matthew's account of the resurrection has a word for us who feel like we are in this in-between time, this time of transition, feeling like we're caught between two worlds where we know that we had a way of life before, but we're also anticipating a new way of life in the future. As I mentioned earlier, each gospel writer tells the account of the resurrection a bit differently, and depending upon who you read, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you're going to get different details and flavors and textures to the telling of the resurrection. And it's important to pay attention to those differences and those unique tellings of each gospel writer because they give us insight into what they're trying to say. And one of the things that Matthew especially draws attention to is this transition and struggle that the disciples faced in the midst of this departure from one way of knowing Jesus to this new way of knowing Jesus. And he captures this transition and the difficulty of that transition through these three scenes of the resurrection. First, he he tells us about those disciples, Mary and Mary, who go to the tomb early on the first day of the week, and they experience this earthquake. They experience bright angels. They experience guards passing out in front of them. And then this news that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And if that's not enough of a traumatic and dramatic experience... They are then told that they're supposed to go and tell this news to the disciples and to tell them to go to Galilee, and they go with fear and joy, Matthew tells us. This mix of emotion because of this transition they find themselves in. Matthew then reports to us that in the very next scene, although it's not a direct reference, it's an indirect reference to these disciples in the midst of the difficulty of transition because he tells us that a rumor is started, a lie is created about the body of Jesus being stolen, that the guards and the chief priests conspire together to have this story about why Jesus' body was no longer there. And so we have this indirect reference to the disciples and this story of them experiencing the transition of these truth and these lies that are swirling about in light of the resurrection. And then finally we get to this last scene in Matthew's telling of the resurrection where we probably know this scene the best, but it's important for us to notice how Matthew describes the disciples with two different descriptions. First, he tells us that there are only 11 
disciples, reminding us of the betrayal of Judas and that now we have this group of disciples who are incomplete. There's no longer 12 of them. And then the next description he gives is that these disciples have a mix of worshipful posture towards Jesus, but also doubt. And so what we see in Matthew 28 in these three scenes of the disciples is that they are in the midst of this transition, the midst of this world-changing event, and they are caught in between a mix of emotion, fear and joy, truth and lies, worship and doubt. And that is so often the reality of our transitions in life, that when we go through them, that we have a mix of emotion, a mix of reactions, and a mix of how we handle the situation. And what's important to notice about Matthew's gospel is that he doesn't just focus on the disciples, but he also focuses on Jesus' response to the disciples. And what we read about in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus shows up to the disciples, that Jesus commissions the disciples, and Jesus gives promise to the disciples, both to Mary and Mary, as well as the remaining 11 disciples. We read that Jesus appears and shows up to them, even in the midst of tension and transition, even in the midst of this mix of emotion, fear and joy, worship and doubt, Jesus as the resurrected Lord still shows up to them. And it's not just that Jesus shows up to these disciples. Jesus also speaks to these disciples. He gives them purpose. He gives them a commissioning Mary and Mary, he commissions to go and tell the other disciples to go to Galilee where Jesus will meet them there. And then in that beautiful and famous scene, the Great Commission as it's sometimes called, Jesus speaks a word of mission and purpose to these remaining 11 disciples. That that even though they don't have it all together, He still trusts them to go, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. Even in the midst of their messiness and their in-betweenness and their worship and doubtfulness, Jesus still trusts them with mission. And then finally, in that beautiful closing verse of Matthew's gospel, he tells them to remember that he is always with them. He promises his presence with them as they go out into this new world created by the resurrection of Jesus. And what's beautiful about Matthew's gospel is that frame of promising presence is what gives shape to the entirety of Matthew's gospel, because if you will remember in the very first chapter of Matthew's gospel, when he's telling the birth of Jesus, he tells us that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And then here in the very last chapter, the very last verse of his gospel, he again reminds us 
of God being present with us in in Jesus. And so even in the midst of transition, even in the midst of, of the disciples being filled with worship and doubt, fear and joy, Jesus still promises and provides his presence. These disciples find themselves in that difficult place of an old world leaving them and a new world on the horizon. And yet we still see Jesus showing up, sharing mission, and assuring them of his presence. Because, and this is key, regardless of if the disciples felt like they had it together or not, regardless if they felt like their world that they knew was ending and this new world was beginning, even though they didn't even have it all together, Jesus was still Lord. Jesus was still present. Jesus was still giving them purpose based upon his authority. And you see, that very truth, that very reality gets at the heart of this unique thing that Matthew's gospel is trying to tell us. Because Matthew is saying that even though the disciples are in the midst of a transition, that Jesus still is Lord. Matthew is saying that, yes, there's some insight into the disciples that we need to see, but we need to see more, this picture of Jesus that he shows us. Because Jesus, for Matthew, is the one with all authority. He is the resurrected Lord. He is the one bringing heaven and earth together. Jesus is the one who started in Galilee and now is starting something with these disciples in Galilee as well. Jesus is the one who shows up to them, not the other way around. And the disciples going forward, therefore, are going to have to learn to trust that very truth, to trust that very person. The disciples are now in a place where they are moving into a new world created by Jesus, and they are now going to have to trust his promise and his purpose and his presence. Because that's the thing about transitions that we can sometimes forget that Matthew's gospel invites us to remember, that transitions are an opportunity for trust. That our transitions in life are these invitations to ask us, who will we trust with our life? You know, that's one of the unique things that I have noticed in this season that we have found ourselves in, this transition that we have found ourselves in. That that for so many of us, we have talked about how the world is changing and we feel like there is this old world leaving us. 
And with the decay and with the feeling that this old world is kind of falling apart, it's causing a lot of us to ask deeper questions about our life and about the foundation upon which we're building. This storm is hitting all of us, and it's forcing us to ask some foundational kinds of questions. And Matthew's account of the resurrection is inviting us not just to find ourselves in the place of those disciples with the mix of fear and joy, with the mix of worship and doubt, but more importantly, Matthew's gospel invites us to ask the question, who will we ultimately trust? And Matthew's gospel holds up for us the resurrected Lord who has all authority over heaven and earth, who gives us purpose and gives us his presence and invites us to trust him as we move into this new world. He invites us to have faith in him, even though an old world may feel like it is ending. A new world is possible as we trust and follow Jesus. One of the unique things about Matthew's gospel account of the resurrection is that he uses a word here at the end of his telling of the gospel when he describes the disciples, these 11 disciples, and he says that some of them worshipped Jesus, but some of them doubted. And that word he uses for doubt gets used one other place in the entire New Testament, and it gets used in Matthew's gospel as well. Matthew uses this same word in Matthew 14, where he tells us about this experience that the disciples had with Jesus on the water. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, he puts the disciples into a boat and he tells them to go to the other side. He goes to a mountain to pray, and while he's on the mountain praying, this wind storm takes the boat and beats it around on the waves, and the disciples move to the other side of the water. And we're told that early that next morning, the disciples are in the boat, and they see this figure walking out toward them on the sea. And when they see this figure walking towards them, they're terrified. They think that they're looking at a ghost. But the moment that they cry out in fear is the moment that Jesus speaks to them from the water and and tells them to take heart and to not be afraid because it's him. And at this moment, Peter speaks up and tests Jesus and says, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come out to you on the water. And so Jesus invites him onto the water and Peter goes out of the boat and starts walking on the water, moving towards Jesus. And then Matthew tells us this. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, Peter cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying, You of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. We have in Matthew 14 a very similar picture of the disciples that we have in Matthew 28. A mix of worship and doubt, and later, again, a mix of worship and doubt. And I think that this story in Matthew 14 gives us lenses to read Matthew 28. Because the predicament of Peter in Matthew 14 is the very same predicament that the disciples find themselves in in Matthew 28. It's ultimately a question of who will they trust? Who will they have faith in ultimately? Who do they think can really save them. And as we find ourselves in a season of transition right now, as we find ourselves with this old world seeming to leave us in this new world on the horizon, and here we are in this strange in-between, I think the transition that we find ourselves in asks the same question of us as believers. Who will we ultimately trust? Who do we think can save us? And so as we continue in this strange season of transition, as we feel all of those strange feelings, as we deal with the difficulties of change, I also hope that we will ask those deeper questions that we will allow this unique transition to force us to ask some of those deeper questions of who do we ultimately trust and where is our ultimate foundation. And no matter what, I hope we, as we move forward into this new week, will remember that beautiful promise of Jesus to us. I am with you always until the end of the age. Amen.